mountains. We all face them. Basecamp Live will equip you to conquer the biggest mountains when raising the next generation. Each week, you'll hear from culture watchers, thought leaders, and storytellers who know the tools you'll need to summit the peak and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. Welcome to Basecamp Live, and now your host, Davies Owens. This is Davies Owens, and we are here in Paris, in the city of Paris. And I'm here with Tom Velasco. We are sitting in a cafe within uh, in visual range of Notre Dame, right outside the windows. We've had a pretty amazing day. What's the name of the cafe, Tom? Where are we? Uh, I think it's Café Pani. My French pronunciation is not good, so um, that's kind of my, my attempt at it. But we are sure the pastries and the cappuccinos are good, so yes. that, that's the main thing for us to think about. Well, today we've had, we, are, we are blitzing with the seniors through Europe, and we've had a pretty um, action-packed time here in Europe. And This morning we walked into the Louvre, which should be a familiar place, at least by name. It's the world's largest art exhibit. Um, I learned today that there are five miles, if you walked among all the walls of the building of artwork, there's about... Uh, 32,000 engravings and 12,000 paintings just in the Louvre alone. I think we maybe saw 10 of them. Um, moving very quickly. No, we saw more than that. So you know, today I, I, I thought it would be interesting just to talk a little bit about art. I know most parents today, probably like my, my mom growing up, saw art as sort of the lighter courses that their kids take. I mean, there's P.E., and art, and, uh, and art usually kind of comes down to the stuff that gets hung on the refrigerator. My mom had a drawer in her house with all of these <clears throat> wonderful masterpieces that I drew. Um, but art is so much more than that. And I think the kind of the question is, is, why would a school trip go to the Louvre? Why would we spend time looking at artwork? What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think that there's a lot behind why it's important to study art. Um, and I think to kind of answer the question of why I think it's important to go to a, a museum like the Louvre here in Paris or like the Uffizi in Florence, I would kind of want to back up and really hit on what I think is um, the main point of art. See, the thing is, is that we just do uh, imbibe art. We, we watch it, we listen to it, we take it in. And, and the thing is, as human beings, there is nothing that does more to persuade us of certain things than art does. Like, so, so maybe we should define art, because yeah. I think thinking of a Renaissance painting or a, or a, a, a sculptor, you know, a, something that's been sculpted, um, we don't often think of that in the same category as a movie or a book or something that's other fun. I mean, so art, broadly defined then. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, I don't... I, I, you know, that's kind of the age-old question, what is art? I mean, ultimately, I, I don't know if I could give you a, a really clear criteria, set of criteria, but it's something created, I would say, by people, um, and it really is not created with a pragmatic uh, purpose. Like, it is created for the sake of, basically for its own sake. Um, it, it's made for people to, in some sense, observe it, listen to it, participate in it, right? So when you think of the classical, I mean, when you think of art in uh, the Greek world, for instance, um, the, I think the first things people would think of are architecture, uh, they would think of sculptures, and they would think of uh, theater, right. right? So all right. three of those things would be art. Right. Um, fictional literature, obviously, is right. art. Poetry, 
the Greek poets, they would have been artists. The performers of the poetry right. would have been artists. Um, and I think today we think of art as something that artistic people do. Like everyone can think maybe in their class of students growing up, there were the, the artist, artistic kids that took art class and drew pictures. But we're talking about really a form of expression that defines the culture. As we were walking through the Louvre, we talked, I mean, you and I had that conversation about really this was a, this was a, a medium to express protest it was a way of reflecting that the values of the culture at the time so yeah yeah and the and ultimately i mean i think artists you know you talked there about uh, a medium uh, that artists use to express protest ultimately artists are trying to convey ideas Right. and emotions and feelings through their art. So Hans Ruckmacher, who I know Francis Schaeffer was, was uh, influenced a great deal by, has this great quote. He says, Art tries literally to picture the things which philosophy tries to put into, put into carefully thought out words. So art is, uh, is trying to picture the things which philosophy tries to put uh, carefully into thought out words. And I think about, we can get tongue-tied in philosophy, or you can stand and look at a piece of art, and you learn so much about the culture in yeah. front of you. So. Well, I think at the end of the day, people don't care about arguments and reason. Just in general, they don't. They say they do. They pay lip service to it, but they don't. It's kind of like when you watch politicians debating. Everybody says, can we just get to the issues? Can we just get to the issues? No, nobody cares about the issues. Right. Like, they, they just don't. They want people, the drama around yeah, it. I mean, people certainly have their, like, when it comes to politics, people have their um, propensities, conservatives... Uh, obviously have a conservative stance on things. Liberals have liberal stances on things. But at the end of the day, the person who moves the meter is the eloquent one with charisma and charm. So at the end of the day, people don't care, ultimately, about the issues. I mean, they're going to cling. Like, conservatives are not going to vote for a liberal. Liberals are not going to vote for a conservative. But the ones who are going to be swayed are going to be the ones who are swayed by the person, by the charm and the charisma of the person, by the eloquence. So the thing is, is that at the end of the day, we're not ultimately swayed by argument and by reason. We don't read philosophers. We don't care what arguments are put out. We don't want to... A philosopher pairs everything down to strict pure logic, and nobody listens to that, right? So, so you would say for today, I mean, looking at... I mean, jumping from what's in the Louvre and the, more of the classical art, I mean, looking at modern... You've done a talk even looking at superheroes and just sort of the changes in the culture as it's reflected in, in superheroes today. Here comes our food. Hang on a second. Excellent. Merci. Thank you. So people, of course, expect, or people say that they want good reasons for believing what they believe. Like that, that they, uh, you know, you often hear somebody say, uh, well, I trust scientific fact. And, and the bottom line is nobody does that. I mean, nobody, I mean, not nobody, there are some people, but... In general, literal about what they believe. Yeah, in general, people do not listen to reasons. They don't examine the logic of argumentation. People's beliefs, I think, are, and it's not like I have data to support this, but it just seems to be the case, are primarily formed by their art. We believe what the music tells us. We believe what movies and television teach us. Um, when I was growing up, it was MTV. Like, my worldview was shaped by music television I mean I watched it all the time and my style was informed by them and I remember specifically what I believed about abortion was formed by them and what I believed about about marriage and sexuality was taught to me by them I believed what they taught me and that all of that was reinforced 
by my friends, by my culture, by the world around me. Now, the thing about it is, is that Christianity, more or less, over the last 50, 60 years, has abdicated the art field. Like, we just have decided, and maybe it goes beyond that, in all honesty. I mean, it, you, I think you could probably argue that it may rest in kind of the Puritan roots of our country to some degree, this kind of aversion to art, where in general we want to stay out of the art world. But that aversion to art has meant that we don't have a voice in our culture. Whereas the, when we go to the Louvre, when we go into the Uffizi, we're looking at art that was created by masters who were devotees of Christ and who were devoted who were devoted to Jesus and to his church to his you know to the religion and and they are teaching us through the art and it's affecting the culture and it's striking to me i mean literally looking out the window at this line of people making their way into notre dame or the line of people that were the louvre and you and i commented on the number if you just look at the pure content of the subject matter of most of the paintings in the louvre overarchingly are are, are religious and in particular are are portraying the life of christ and biblical stories it is it is amazing that even today the culture is being shaped by those stories. Even if they don't know them, that still serves its purpose that an artist centuries before would have painted. Yeah. But the idea of shaping, Thomas, is something we talk a lot about around our school, which is education is not just reading, writing, arithmetic, or learning facts. It is about forming and shaping the affections, of what, is what Edwards talked about, of what our children love, how we shape them. And I think that's really the battleground for a young person today, is we can have all of this great discussion in the classroom, and they walk out, and they see a movie over the weekend or they talk to their friends, those things are going to have an even greater pull and greater draw. And so I think we're both saying on the one hand, being aware of the power of art, that, that we do want our kids to be aware of what great art looks like, to be able to critique art. And that's a whole nother, I think, conversation is everyone's afraid to even offer an opinion of art. Art is sort of the, this sa- sacred area where we were talking while we were eating our crips here. When we cut off, we should have been recording during that. But... You know, there, there are even churches uh, in our community that um, rightfully want to celebrate the arts but will allow really just almost nonsensical smearing of paint or something on the wall and then calling that art. And this is, again, the age-old dilemma of what is art, what is good art. But I think that's part of what our students hopefully are learning is truth, goodness, and beauty and how to critique what is good. So I'm rambling here a bit, but I think even the idea of them going to a movie, which we can't stop, but can we prepare them to go in and have a thoughtful critique of what they're seeing and that a movie's not just two hours of mindless entertainment it's two hours of indoctrination and how do we help them understand how to critique that art form so yeah i mean absolutely i mean the thing is is that in general i i think again referencing just kind of the church over the last 50 60 years maybe 70 um the tendency has been that that we kind of just tell our children, okay, we'll let you partake of the arts, but we want to make sure that it's not vulgar and we want to make sure it's not obscene. And that's it. Like, not too much nudity, not too, I mean, like, it's about how much skin is shown, it's about how much, um, uh, you know, how, many, how much vulgar language is used. It might be how much violence, like, maybe we have an aversion to violence, so we don't want our kids to see that. And, and all of those things are fine things. I'm not critiquing that. Like, I would never critique... Um, a decision to want to protect your children, especially depending on age propriety, from certain kinds of things. But 
What we're not considering are the ideas that underlie the art that they are participating in. You, you know, you can check the ratings and see that there's no nudity and no foul language, so you let them watch it, but you're not thinking about what is the worldview, what is the philosophy that is driving the movie, and what yeah. are they being taught through it. I, I can remember years ago when Hannah was probably, my daughter Hannah was probably six or seven, and I went out, I think it was even Blockbuster days, I rented the old VHS, um, of Lassie, and I thought Lassie was a great, great TV show, great movies. How do you mess up Lassie? It had a, it, the rating was I, probably a G rating, and I brought it home and started watching it with her. And I had to stop it about a third of the way through. There, again, language was fine; it passed all the typical Christian content filters. But the subtle message behind it was that uh, that the little girl's parents were sort of inept um, and not even worthy of respecting because it was Lassie, the hero, and the and the little girl that saved the day. And that message sort of subtly erodes the idea of parents being an authority. And, if, and it may, maybe it seems small, but it's like, again, I don't know that we Christian parents think in those terms. We don't know how to discern the art form. We go to, like you said, we go to plug in, read the rating, and decide it's fine, and miss some of the more subtle uh, efforts that are being made by the movie producer or directors to tell a story that we may not even understand our kids are absorbing. Yeah, yeah I just on the flight over here, I saw a movie... Uh, it was a coming-of-age movie about some kids, like high school kids, who were forming a band. It was very good. It was funny. Um, it was, I think, relatable. That's a, a big thing. Kids could watch it and relate to kind of what's going on socially. But ultimately, the film was an anti-authoritarian movie. That's right. what it was about. Exactly. Yeah, it was yeah. basically saying um, that law is bad, that authority is bad. And what you need to do is rebel. And so we see that in the heroes. There's no language, you know. Well, actually, there might have been some language. There's some, maybe some language. But there's no nudity, nothing along those lines. No obscenity. But, you know, there's an idea that is being communicated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the things about going to these museums is, is that our hope is that we're training students, first of all, to follow the history of art to see how the ideas have impacted our culture. Yeah. Because we're saying, look, here's a piece of art. It was done by this one artist. Here's what he was thinking. Here's what he was trying to do. Oh, and look, this is what happened to the culture in the wake of this artist movement. It's to hopefully teach them to think critically right. of the art that they're partaking in, that they're that they're drinking in. Um, and not only that, but it's also trying to, uh, again, like you said, kind of shape their tastes, yeah. right? I mean, uh, ultimately, you know, the early Christian fathers, like St. Augustine, for instance, they believed that there was an objective standard of beauty, and that objective standard of beauty rested in the character of God himself, that God is the source of all beauty, and all beauty must be measured in regards to him. And so if something does not resemble him in some sense, or if something goes against his moral character, or against his character in general, uh, that thing is, is, is ugly to the degree to which it moves away from him. That was something that the church very much believed, but now we have this idea that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, that everybody kind of has their own standards of beauty, right. which is why it's not just about the content of the art. That's not the only thing that can really mess us up in our way of thinking. It's also about the form. Right. Like when, when you, I mean, you made reference just a moment ago about spattering of paint. I mean, um, it, it's a very, you can trace the, 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 the thinking through the history of art. When you get to people like Jackson Pollock, who are literally taking uh, paint yeah. and they're just splattering it. Yeah, they're splattering it. There's no form. They're communicating a truth through that, or what 
they're communicating what they think is true. Yeah. Um, it's essentially, you know, saying that the form doesn't matter. Yeah. It's essentially saying there is no true form that ought to be followed. And make no mistake about it, kids pick up on that. Yeah. Um, not just kids, humans. Like we, and we begin to think that way. We begin to believe those right. things. And that is a far more effective right. um, form of persuasion than sitting down and listening to a, a good debate right. or right. listening to somebody present a series of ideas because we love it. Right. And, and because we love it, we're changed right. because we're going to change. We're going to mold ourselves according to the things we love, yeah. right? And so, and obviously, the, the big place where you can see this even more so than movies probably is music. Yeah. I mean, our kids listen to tons of music, and so, like, you better believe that the stuff they're listening to is shaping the way. They and, and how many kids say, "Well, I don't really listen to words. I just, yeah. you know, it's just the music I like." I mean, we, yeah. we've heard that a thousand times. Yeah. And then they listen to that song ten thousand times, and they per- perfectly memorize every and, lyric. Right. Yeah, yeah, and they repeat the lyrics right. over and exactly. over and over again. Right. And it, but the same thing applies there. There's two things. There's the form and there's the content, right? What the? I mean, we, we act as if the form doesn't matter, but what the form is affects us. It affects the way we think. It affects us the way we look at the world. The, the way the music sounds can affect whether or not we're angry, and it can affect whether or not we're sad. It can drive us to depression. It can make us joyful. I mean, you know, Socrates in The Republic, I should say Plato writing, but the character Socrates, he wanted music. He thought that in the ideal republic there would be no music, at least very little music. The only music that you would have is highly unemotional music that would only be there for instructive purposes and for creating harmony. That would be it. But anything that would create discord or anything that would heighten emotions needed to be removed because it stimulates emotion. Right. Right. Which can't be good. Yeah. And so, you know, the fact that you have this capacity in... Oh, a better example. um, Igor Stravinsky composed a, uh, a piece of music called The Rite of Spring, which is full of all sorts of bizarre discordant sounds. And the first time it was played, I believe here in Paris, was the first time it was ever played, um, a riot broke out in the middle of it, not for any particular reason. It was just the sounds themselves were so painful that it inspired the, the, the hearers to violence. So it's like the, the form matters as well as the content, what is being said. So we want our kids, not we don't want to tell our kids, look, Bach's the only guy you can listen to. But we want to play Bach and say, guys, here's who Bach was. Here's what he was trying right, to do. Right. Here's what he's communicating through his music. This is the way it affects us. This is the way we make us feel. Now, be aware of this when you're listening to music. Right. Be aware of this when you're observing the arts, television, music, movies, and, and painting, it, sculpting, right. theater, you name it. And it, it even begins, so in even in our grammar school, we see children that are, um, I would say in most schools, they're given this idea or, or the idea is presented that they should just be able to express something without any boundaries around it. So, I mean, in the classical tradition, one had to apprentice before they were allowed to build, you know, looking at Notre Dame, you, did just, you didn't have stonemasons showing up their uh, first day on the job and just being cut free to create something. They had to patiently wait and work with a master stonemason before they were allowed to, to labor on their own. I mean, you see that historically, you see that in the arts, and I think that's what I appreciate about our school is that we are we're having our, our students in grammar school actually look at an art master sort of narrate back, describe what they're seeing, and then begin to imitate some of that form. So all the way through, their appetites, their their desires are being formed on that. So when they see something that's art splattered on the wall, and it's interesting, as we we tour here in Paris, we see both modern and classical exhibits. And I think there's an innate sense of that, that just doesn't even look good. Like, what is that? 
And I think that, that it's a great encouragement that they're their appetites, their interests are being formed around yeah. truth, goodness, and beauty. So, yeah, yeah, no, I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. So, I, it's, um, you know, we're 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 in a a battle for the hearts and minds of our students, and it is very encouraging to. to I mean, you don't have to come to Paris to see it, but it sure is a, a wonderful um, capstone of our seniors to see the formation that's happened. So, for parents that are again wondering what's on the refrigerator, it's not just uh, your child's self-expression; it's a way of them reflecting the glory of God and the things that they're coming to love to learn and and ultimately being able to be discerning when it comes to art form. And I think that's where the church, to your point, I, I think I was probably in my early 20s studying at Labrie before I realized that it's actually okay to appreciate the arts because I think it was sort of, I've got my Bible and I've memorized some scripture and I've done some evangelism. So we, it doesn't matter what worship space we're in. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter really the music so much. And I think we've missed something uh, to your point in this discussion. So, at any rate, thanks, Tom, for your uh, your input here. I hope everyone gets a chance to come uh, be in Paris. Yeah. Go to the Louvre. Amen. It'd be days here. <laughs> the crepes aren't bad either in the cappuccinos. So. <laughs> All right. We'll All talk right. again. Thanks. Thanks, Davies.